Hey campers, are you ready for some spooky stories? This week for our campfire story, I'm going to be reading some Raw Dolls Book of Ghost Stories. Let's grab a mug of cocoa and get settled in. Okay, so each of these ghost stories, um, that I've picked this week are by different authors, but it's Raul Dahl did a, like, uh, like compiled them together in stories that he thought were like good and spooky and creepy. So he didn't necessarily write them. So I will let you know who wrote each of the stories I read. Oh, okay. Interesting. So it's like his favorites kind of a thing? Kind of, yeah. So him and some friends had talked about doing like a television show that was all ghost stories because at that time that like wasn't really a thing. Mm-hmm. So he kind of like had some friends write some stories and some compiled them together. So that's what I'm reading this week. Okay. I'm excited. All right. All right. Our first story, got two stories for you because they're a little longer than the ones that Krista did last week. <laughs> um, our first story is by Richard Middleton. It's called On the Brighton Road. Slowly the sun had climbed up the hard white downs till it broke with little of the mysterious ritual of dawn upon a sparkling world of snow. There had been a hard frost during the night, and the birds, who hopped about here and there with scant tolerance of life, left no trace of their passage on the silver pavements. In places the sheltered caverns of the hedges broke the monotony of the whiteness that had fallen upon the colored earth, and overhead the sky melted from orange to deep blue, from deep blue to a pale blue, so pale that it suggested a thin paper screen rather than illimitable space. There are some big words in there. So yeah, not wow. Lie. Not going to lie. It's like very <laughs> poetry-ish because we're all dull. Mm-hmm. Just going to throw that in there. Across the level fields there came a cold, silent wind which blew fine dust of snow from the trees, but hardly stirred the crested hedges. Once above the skyline, the sun seemed to climb more quickly, and as it rose higher, it began to give out a heat that blended with the keenness of the wind. It may have been this strange alternation of heat and cold that disturbed the tramp in his dreams, for he struggled for a moment with the snow that covered him, like a man who finds himself twisted uncomfortably in the bedclothes, and then sat up with staring, questioning eyes, Lord, I thought I was in bed, he said to himself as he took in the vacant landscape, and all the while I was out here. He stretched his limbs and, rising carefully to his feet, shook the snow off his body. As he did so, the wind set him shivering, and he knew that his bed had been warm. Come, I feel pretty fit, he thought. I suppose I am lucky to wake at all in this, or unlucky. It isn't much of a business to come back to. He looked up and saw the downs shining against the blue like the Alps on a picture postcard. That means another 40 miles or so, I suppose, he continued grimly. Lord knows what I did yesterday. Walked till I was done. And now I'm about 12 miles from Brighton. Damn the snow. Damn Brighton. Damn everything. The sun crept higher and higher, and he started walking patiently along the road with his back turned to the hills. Am I glad or sorry that it was only sleep that took me? Glad or sorry? Glad or sorry? His thoughts seemed to arrange themselves in a 
metrical accompaniment to the steady thud of his footsteps, and he hardly sought an answer to his question. It was good enough to walk to. Presently, when three milestones had loitered past, he overtook a boy who was stooping to light a cigarette. He wore no overcoat and looked unspeakably fragile against the snow. Are you on the road, governor? Asked the boy huskily as he passed. I think I am, the tramp said. Oh, then I'll come a bit of the way with you if you don't walk too fast. It's a bit lonesome walking this time of day. The tramp nodded his head and the boy started limping along by his side. I'm 18, he said casually. I bet you thought I was younger. 15, I'd have said. You'd have backed a loser. 18 last August, and I've been on the road six years. I ran away from home five times when I was a little one, and the police took me back each time. Very good to me, the police was. Now I haven't got a home to run away from. Nor have I, said the tramp calmly. Oh, I can see what you are, the boy panted. You're a gentleman come down. It's harder for you than for me. The tramp glanced at the limping, feeble figure and lessened his pace. I haven't been at it long as you have. Oh, sorry. I haven't been at it as long as you have, he admitted. No, I could tell that by the way you walk. You haven't got tired yet. Perhaps you expect something the other end? The tramp reflected for a moment. I don't know, he said bitterly. I'm always expecting things. You'll grow out of that, the boy commented. It's warmer in London, but it's harder to come by grub. There isn't much in it, really. Still, there's the chance of meeting someone there who will understand. Country people are better, the boy interrupted. Last night, I took a lease of a barn for nothing and slept with the cows, and this morning, the farmer routed me out and gave me tea and toke because I was little. Of course, I score there, but in London, soup on the embankment at night and all the rest of the time coppers moving you on. I dropped by the roadside last night and slept where I fell. It's a wonder I didn't die, the tramp said. The boy looked at him sharply. How do you know you didn't, he said. I don't see it, the tramp said after a pause. I tell you, the boy said hoarsely. People like us can't get away from this sort of thing if we want to. Always hungry and thirsty and dog tired and walking all the time. And yet if anyone offers me a nice home and work, my stomach feels sick. Do I look strong? I know I'm little for my age, but I've been knocking about like this for six years. And do you think I'm not dead? I was drowned bathing at Margate, and I was killed by a gypsy with a spike. He knocked my head right in, and twice I was froze like you last night. And a motor cut me down on this very road, and yet I'm walking along here now, walking to London to walk away from it again, because I can't help it. Dead, I tell you we can't get away if we wanted to. The boy broke off in a fit of coughing, and the tramp paused while he recovered. You'd better borrow my coat for a bit, Tommy, he said. Your cough's pretty bad. You go to hell, the boy said fiercely, puffing at a cigarette. I'm all right. I was telling you about the road. You haven't got down to it yet, but you'll find out presently. We're all dead, all of us who are on it, and we're all tired, yet somehow we can't leave it. There's nice smells in the summer, dust and hay and the wind smack in your face on a hot day. It's nice waking up in the wet grass on a fine morning. I don't know. I don't know. He lurched forward suddenly, and the tramp caught him in his arms. I'm sick, the boy whispered. Sick. The tramp looked up and down the road, but he could see no houses or any sign of help. Yet even as he supported the boy doubtfully in the middle of the road, a motor car 
suddenly flashed in the middle distance and came smoothly through the snow. What's the trouble, said the driver quietly as he pulled up. I'm a doctor. He looked at the boy keenly and listened to his straining breathing. Pneumonia, he commented. I'll give him a lift to the infirmary, and you too, if you like. The tramp thought of the workhouse and shook his head. I'd rather walk, he said. The boy winked faintly as he lifted him into the car. I'll meet you beyond Raygate, he, he murmured to the tramp. You'll see. And the car vanished along the white road. All the morning, the tramp splashed through the thawing snow. But at midday, he begged some bread at a cottage door and crept into a lonely barn to eat it. It was warm in there. And after his sleep, oh, sorry. And after his meal, he fell asleep among the hay. It was dark when he woke and started trudging once more through the slushy roads. Two miles beyond Raygate, a figure, a, fail, a frail figure, slipped out of the darkness to meet him. On the road, governor, said a husky voice, then I'll come a bit of the way with you if you don't walk too fast. It's a bit lonesome walking this time of day. But the pneumonia, cried the tramp aghast. I, I died at Crawley this morning, said the boy. So they were dead all along? Basically, it was very, like, creepy. Were they dead the whole time? Did just the boy die many times? Is this boy yeah. like a traveler companion? I thought the story was very creepy. Like, there's so many ways to interpret, like, the creepy crap that went down. Yeah. Like, does he think that he just died multiple times and he didn't? Like, the old man makes sense, right? Because he went to bed in his warm bed and now he's all cold. So he's probably dead. That would make sense. He's probably dead. Right. But are, then are there all these, like, dead ghosts on the side giving out bread and warm places to sleep? Right. And, like, the guy who stopped, like, the driver, was he dead? Mm -hmm. Or was he real? It's hard to tell. Yeah. So that's why I like this story. I thought I would share this one. Because it's like, what happened? Yeah. Interesting. Who's dead? Somebody's mm -hmm. obviously dead. At least the boy is dead. Yeah. At minimum. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. But when, when did he die? But, like, when? Right? Was he dead mm -hmm. the whole time? Very sick sense. Very mm -hmm. sick sense. Yeah. <laughs> I see dead people. I see dead people. Yes. Okay. Uh, I have one more story for you, since I think that one took the appropriate amount of time. I think so. I'm not sure, but... Okay, I've got one more short story for you. Uh, this one is by Rosemary Timperley. It's called Christmas Meeting. Mm. Mm. I have never spent Christmas alone before. It gives me an uncanny feeling sitting alone in my furnished room with my head full of ghosts ah. and the room full of voices of the past. It's a drowning feeling. All of the Christmases of the past coming back in a mad jumble. The childish Christmas with a house full of relations, a tree in the window, six pences in the pudding, and the delicious crinkly stocking in the dark morning. The adolescent Christmas with mother and father, the war and the bitter cold and the letters from abroad. The first really grown-up Christmas with a lover, the snow and the enchantment, red wine and kisses, the walk in the dark before midnight with the ground so white and the stars diamond bright in a black sky. So many Christmases through the years. And now, the first Christmas alone. But not quite loneliness. A feeling of companionship with all the other people who are spending Christmas alone, millions of them, past and present. 
a feeling that if I close my eyes, there will be no past or future, only an endless present, which is time, because it, because it is all we ever have. Yes, however cynical you are, however irreligious, it makes you feel queer to be alone at Christmas time. So I am absurdly relieved when a young man walks in. There's nothing romantic about it. I'm a woman of nearly 50, a spinster schoolma'am with grim, dark hair and myopic eyes that once were beautiful. And he's a kid of 20, rather unconventionally dressed with a flowing wine-colored tie and black velvet jacket and brown curls, which could do with the taste of the barber's scissors. The effeminacy of his dress is belied by his features, narrow, piercing blue eyes and arrogant, jutting nose and chin. Not that he looks strong. The skin is fine drawn over the prominent features and he is very white. He bursts in without knocking, then pauses, says, I'm so sorry, I thought this was my room. He begins to go out, then hesitates and says, are you alone? Yes. It's queer being alone at Christmas, isn't it? May I stay and talk? I'd be glad if you would. He comes right in and sits down by the fire. I hope you don't think I came in here on purpose. I really did think it was my room, he explains. I'm glad you made the mistake, but you're a very young person to be alone at Christmas time. I wouldn't go back to the country to my family. It would hold up my work. I'm a writer. I see. I can't help smiling a little. This explains his rather unusual dress, and he takes himself so seriously, this young man. Of course, you mustn't waste a precious moment of writing, I say with a twinkle. No, not a moment. That's what my family won't see. They don't appreciate urgency. Families are never appreciative of the artistic nature. No, they aren't, he agrees seriously. What are you writing? Poetry and a diary combined. It's called My Poems and I by Francis Randall. That's my name. My family says there's no point in my writing, that I'm too young. But I don't feel young. Sometimes I feel like an old man with too much to do before he dies. Revolving faster and faster on the wheel of creativeness. Yes, yes, exactly. You understand. You must read my work sometime. Please, read my work. Read my work. A note of desperation in his voice, a look of fear in his eyes, makes me say, we're both getting much too solemn for Christmas Day. I'm going to make you some coffee, and I have a plum cake. I move about, clattering cups, spooning coffee into my percolator. But I must have offended him, for when I look round, I find he has left me. I am absurdly disappointed. I finish making coffee, however, then turn to the bookshelf in the room. It is piled high with volumes, for which the landlady has apologized profusely. Hope you don't mind the books, miss, but my husband won't part with them, and there's nowhere else to put them. We charge a bit less for the room for that reason. I don't mind, I said. Books are good friends. But these aren't very friendly-looking books. I take one at random, or does some strange fate guide my hand? Sipping my coffee, inhaling my cigarette smoke, I begin to read the battered little book, published, I see, in spring 1852. It's mainly poetry, immature stuff, but vivid. Then there's a kind of diary, more realistic, less affected. Out of curiosity, to see if there are any amusing comparisons, I turn to the entry for Christmas Day, 1851, 
I read, my first Christmas day alone, I had rather an odd experience. When I went back to my lodgings after a walk, there was a middle-aged woman in my room. I thought at first I'd walked into the wrong room, but this was not so. And later, after a pleasant talk, she disappeared. I suppose she was a ghost, but I wasn't frightened. I liked her, but I do not feel well tonight. Not at all well. I have never felt ill at Christmas before. A publisher's note followed the last entry. Francis Randall died from a sudden heart attack on the night of Christmas Day, 1851. The woman mentioned in his final entry in his diary was the last person to see him alive. In spite of requests for her to come forward, she never did so. Her identity remains a mystery. I literally have goosebumps right, right? now. I was what? like, what? So has she been a ghost this whole time that lives in this room? No, I think that like something weird coalesced and he came from the past and she was in her present. Mm-hmm. And somehow like these two perfect things like came and like aligned and like perfectly right? two different timelines or something. Super creepy. Yeah. So I like that one because it was about a book too. So, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, that's awesome. It was a book about a book. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was a great like creepy <laughs> short story. Like both of those just like kind of mind benders. Uh-huh. Yeah. Good ghost stories. Yeah, so that's what mm-hmm. I'm loving about this little collection of ghost stories. The other ones are like 10 plus pages long, so, you know. Yeah. But if you're interested in this book, I'll post it on our website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is isn'titpastorbedtime.com, so you can check that out and all the other books that we've ever done. We also have like a little new blog section up that I don't think we've added much to, but eventually one of these days we will. Soon. We'll we will. Them. It's fine. Just keep <laughs> checking it because one day it'll be there, pinky promise um instagram isn't it past your bedtime twitter iipyb underscore pod uh you can always send us an email if you have lots of things you want to say isn't it past your bedtime at gmail.com anyways sleep tight everyone if a ghost comes and visits you in the middle of the night be chill about it like that last guy was and tweet us about it because i'm curious yeah maybe don't be chill about it i don't know it could be eventual it could be a pollster guys about that recorder just gotta video record that crap yeah because you know absolutely trust but verify i need to see proof proof. or it didn't happen yeah all right bye everyone good night